to episode 51. 51. We're now into the golden years. Is that what this is? Well, 50 is golden. Huh? So 50 is golden. 75 yes. is diamond. So we're in the, we were in the golden years beginning the last, uh, the previous episode where we finished the mass. Like, right. So we, did we finish the mass or did you cut out like prior to us completion, completing it? I or did I cut out prior to us completing it? It might've been, I was going into my third, my, my fourth and final uh, part of the mass. Cause we, we had four Sundays in Lent. Uh, in Advent, and there's four sections of the Mass. I think we covered it right before I did my final, the final Sunday of, of Advent. So you feel like the podcast made it all the way through? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we cover, we we kind of covered it in, in a gist. We've always said that December and January and the summer are really difficult to record. Yeah. Just because of Advent and Christmas well, and yeah. deer hunting. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually just came from... Uh, uh, hunt. I actually, uh, this is going to sound bad. I, I, so the only vacation, I think, I, th- I mean, I'm only a year and a half into priesthood, but so far, really, the only vacation I've taken is during hunting season. And so last, the last week of school for, uh, in December, I missed because I was duck hunting in Arkansas. And then the first week of school, this past week, I missed because I was deer hunting in in Texas. Well, it looked like you got some birds too. I did. I get. Uh, so we went deer hunting, and I killed a trophy. People, a trophy. Right. I was actually the deer head is in the back of my truck right now, and I parked. I try. I wanted to bring out that ice chest because the antlers are sticking out of it. Uh, I wanted to bring that ice chest out <laughs> in the middle like of the car. Scott. I wanted to bring that out into the middle of car line and just just stand by it and just look at people. <laughs> just, uh, I they would, would have, they, if they thought you were strange before, they would have known. And you see, but that's that's city people and the country. I would have, they would have put me on a pedestal. <laughs> they would have, they would have crowned me king. Oh, they would have uh, probably crowned you here too. The, uh, so they still would have thought you were strange. Oh man. I'm so proud of that thing. So I killed a trophy deer. How many points? Uh, it's nine. And it's it's huge in the spread. I saw the well, yeah, the, the spread's big. And it was in the middle of the rut. So, I mean, the neck is big. And that's when the body's big. Like, the antlers are big. That's that's. Are I, you going to mount it and put it in your confessional? That's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to mount that thing, put it right here. So if you want to come see my dear people, come to confession. <laughs> there we go. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and so I, I um, but yeah, we went deer hunting. And then whenever I killed, you know, a few, uh, we went dove hunting and we got our limit of doves and it's 15 per person. There was four of us. So we got 60 doves. We went duck hunting. Uh, we didn't get our limit on ducks, but then, uh, you know, we got a few, we probably got uh, 10 or so. So no, it was a great trip. Uh, a great hunting trip. I have one more hunting trip that I'm going to do for like five days. And then that'll be it. It sounds bad, but I mean, like, you know. You're living the rough life is what you're saying. It's, look, you got to save your vacation days for what you want. I don't want to go to the beach. <laughs> I mean, you just sit in the sand, you sweat. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I want to I go hunting. What about Disney? No, no, no. I don't, don't want to go to Disney. <laughs> so, uh, maybe, maybe when I was little. Um, and you shot that with a bow? No, not that one. Oh, okay. I was, I was bow hunting. You sent me a picture of a bow in. Your yeah, stand. I was, uh, I was bow hunting, but that trophy one I didn't kill with my bow. So what you're saying is you're a liar. Like you, no, you, you I, misled I, me. 
<laughs> I can't wait to kill a trophy with my bow. That would be nice. That would be beautiful. So anyway, <laughs> religion How and Catholicism. Oh, this was uh, an eight, nine-hour drive. It was a guy I was no, no, no. How far off was the deer? <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the drive to Texas. Uh, about 100, 120 yards. Okay. All right. So it's not not bad at all. You can shoot. Good job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Since I was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Uh, well, we were kind of saying there's a lot to talk about. We kind of, we finished with the mass, essentially. Uh, uh, or you just skipped the last part of it. The last part, So you if know. you didn't get the last part of the mass, fault, the Poirier's fault. Well, you could always go back and listen to our homilies. Uh, <laughs> but I ended, the crazy thing is I... did I, get all the homilies from that. Um, apparently, I missed a couple d- during Christmas, but, you know. Well, uh, the, uh, so the ma- I ended the mass reflection because the fourth part of the mass, the concluding rites, is very short. It's really just like the closing prayer and then the final blessing. You kiss the Nothing altar. Important. They kiss the altar and then you possess <laughs> out. It's I mean, it's very short. It takes less than five. It takes less well, than five yeah, minutes. But, I mean, and, and you tell people, like, go forth the masses and, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like, and, and that means... Take what you've experienced here and bring it to the world. Yeah, because the mass is not for you. It's yeah, become for the world. become what you ate, right? Right. You, you are be, what you eat. Yep. And so you 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 live out the life that you received in mass. Go forth, proclaim the gospel with your life. Before the mass is ended, um, and that's where we get mass from. Yeah. Right, so mass, M-A-S-S, what we call the mass, we got it from the very final words of the mass in Latin, because everything used to be in Latin. It's still all in Latin. So, like, the official text of the mass is actually all in Latin. You just translate it on the fly? No, reading. they act, but the missile does have it all in Latin. Oh, okay. So they have the English and Latin, the official English text, but what's released is never in the vernacular. What's released is the Latin. Mm. Um and crazy thing, all in chant. So the mass is supposed to be chanted. Um, well, we've all heard how you, how you sing. So thank God <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and people want more. That's what I hear because uh, <laughs> they don't tell me they don't want more. Uh, but like all the way from the in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Like at the very beginning, all the way to the very end, it's supposed to be all chanted. Um, or so it's all released in Latin and in chant notation. And the last words at the Mass, ite misa es, before the Mass is ended, um, misa in Latin, that's where we get Mass from, the final words of the, of the liturgy. That's why we call it the Mass from the last words. And I finished that reflection on the Mass with actually a reflection from Pope Benedict XVI whenever he was a cardinal on the theology of liturgy and worship of God. It was a short reflection but I told the people, like, this is Pope Benedict XVI is probably the greatest theologian pope or probably the greatest liturgical liturgy, uh, liturgical pope we've ever had in the, in the history of the Catholic Church. And that's saying a lot because we've had incredible, I mean, Pope Leo the Great, uh, an incredible theologian pope. Um, and so we've had... Uh, m- We've had multiple gems, but Pope Benedict XVI and his theology on liturgy is probably the crown jewel of what we've had in the church. Uh, And I kind of ended it with a a, a little reflection that moved me whenever I first read it. And it was a reflection uh, on the people of Israel uh, 
in the Exodus event. And he said there was two motives for the Exodus event. The first, of course, was to free the people from the slavery of Pharaoh. But he second, the second motive actually came from the words of, of God himself. When he says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And he, so the, prop, the real reason why they left was so that they can go and worship God. And whenever they first brought to Pharaoh, like to go, they didn't want freedom completely. They asked to go into the desert, worship God, and come back. Let us bring the women, the children, the calves, all the animals, and we'll go and worship God, and we'll come right back. And Pharaoh kept putting these restrictions. Okay, you can take everything but the cattle. Okay, never mind. You could take everything but the women and the children. Okay, never mind. You could take everything but. And so he was putting restrictions on the worship of God. And he was trying to curtail, he was trying to change how God wanted to be worshiped. That is the reason why all the plagues happened. That's the reason why essentially God split the Red Sea and crushed Pharaoh in it is because Pharaoh was trying to stop the right, the correct worship of God. Mm. And that's the mass. You know, we don't make this up. There's so many, there's so many faiths. I mean, we're just jumping right in. Yeah. There's, there's so many people. <laughs> I hope you're taking notes. There's so many people that literally, and this is going to sound crazy, but we all know this to be true. They literally just make up how they worship God. And then they think it's the same thing. God literally split the Red Sea in two and crushed Pharaoh because he tried to curtail one aspect of worship of him in the Old Testament. If people say, I praise God in my heart, and then think it's the same thing, it's, it's ridiculous. It's definitely not biblical. And to say that, like, okay, we don't know the right, how to worship God correctly, like how the right worship, the right liturgy or anything like that. What in the world is the Bible about? If it's not about how to worship God correctly, like people that make these claims, I, I really, and I wholeheartedly believe that they, they just never read the Bible before, or they just never read scripture before, or they don't put the pieces together. Cause it, to me, it's as plain as day. Like if you read Revelation, that's the mass. How can you read John and and not see like I don't I don't entire anything in the Old Testament and not say God doesn't have a say in how we should worship Him, and that's what the whole. So Pope Benedict kind of started his book, the uh, Spirit of the Liturgy, which is kind of one one of very few books. There's probably whew, over seventy books that are attributed to him, but he only read. Uh, he only uh, wrote a few of them. Um, the rest of them are like interviews and presentations that he's given and been collected. But the spirit of the liturgy is his crown jewel work on the liturgy. Um, and he kind of begins the book with that. And it blew me away that the, the prime um, event in the Old Testament and the event that m most of the New Testament refers to was all about liturgy and all about how to worship God correctly. And so it blew me away. And I ended the mass reflections with that one. And then is I think is very providential, or at least I find it very, um, 
I find it, I find it so uh, incredible that I was able to give that reflection with Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and then, like a week later, he died. So you're saying you killed him? <laughs> he did not like my reflection. He said, "Father, <laughs> you missed it." And I was like, "Man, uh, he presents it in such a beautiful way." And uh, but when he died, you know, I was. Uh, yeah, whenever I whenever I saw the funeral, because I tried to watch clippings of it because I was in Texas, um, but it was so it was. So you could have killed a bigger deer that passed by while you were watching the funeral. I was uh, I did and while I was in the deer stand, I did listen to the homily over here uh, at at uh, the diocese of Lafayette. Father Sam Fontana preached the homily for him uh, at the cathedral. Uh, I listened to. Uh, Pope Francis's homily on uh, for Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, um, and it was just it's just been he was so incredible, and his life and legacy is so far beyond what what people can imagine. By the time he was thirty five, he was one of the main theologians for the Second Vatican Council. By the time he was thirty five, he was probably. One of the greatest minds. Bro, you need to step up to the plate. You're not far. From yeah, that. no, that's an it's an it's insane. By the time, years. I think he got his doctorate in theology and was teaching at universities. By the time he was thirty, thirty-two, um, he I think he was one of the I think he was the the last theologian from the Second Vatican Council that was present. Oh wow! I, I think he was the last one. Um. If he wasn't the last one, now I think he was the last one that was a priest or yeah, a bishop. We still had actually taken the document, and <laughs> pushed it out correctly. Yeah, and he was kind of he was a prime mover in regards to that. Like so, Pope John Paul II. I think the the two papacies of Pope John Paul II and Benedict the Sixteenth is the same papacy. People. There was a saying in Rome. That. Because most people don't know what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pope John Paul II, Pope John Paul the Great, which everyone might know, might not know, his life is incredible. Um, whenever he was Pope, he made Pope Benedict XVI, who was then Cardinal Ratzinger, he made him a cardinal, and he also made him uh, the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, right? So there's different offices in Rome, the Office for Canon Law, the, uh, the Office for Evangelization, the Office for um, Defending the Faith and Explaining the Faith. That was Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict was the head of the essential part of, of Rome. That's all essential, but like the top congregation. The essential part for liturgy and worship. No. He was the congregation of the doctrine of faith. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is there is a congregation for the sacred liturgy, but he was the congregation of the doctrine of faith, which which was in charge of ex- defending the faith and explaining the faith. He was the guy for that for I think twenty thirty years. So essentially, almost as long as JP two was yeah. Pope. Yeah, and so really everything Pope John Paul II wrote went through the hands of Pope Benedict XVI. In fact, a lot of people give credit to John Paul II for writing the, the, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That wasn't John Paul II. It was Pope Benedict. Mm. Now, everything, Pope John Paul II read everything and approved it. But that wasn't him. 
it was Pope Benedict that wrote that. In fact, you could read the introduction, and it's written by Cardinal Ratzinger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a saying going around in Rome that people went to see John Paul II, but you went to hear Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict's reflections, his writings, were astronomical, incredible. Pope John Paul II was very philosophical. Pope Benedict was very theological. So they were a good complement to Oh, yeah. Both faith and reason. They were a perfect match for each other. And he was so humble. And the, one of the things that moves me the most, kind of pulls on my heartstrings the most, is that a quote from Pope Benedict. He says, "You, we weren't made for greatness. I mean, we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness. And it pulls on my heartstrings the probably more than anything else because he said that whenever he was explaining he didn't he wanted to retire three times he tried to retire three times and Pope John Paul II denied him uh, he tried to retire three times as a cardinal because JP2 knew, knew that we needed him as Pope <laughs> he uh the one the number one desire in Pope Benedict's heart was that he would retire and be a librarian. Pope John, Pope Benedict was a, a introvert through and through. He just wanted to, he just wanted to read. He wanted to write. He wanted to play his piano and be with his cat. He, and he wanted to be a librarian because whenever he was in Nazi Germany growing up and he was, him and his dad were fighting the Nazis which is an incredible story in itself. His dad started the, the youth against Hitler because they had the Hitler youth. His dad, Pope Benedict's dad, who was a cop, started, the chief of police, started the youth against Hitler. It blows me away. Uh, whenever uh, he was going through that, it was a librarian who gave him books to read about the faith and about the church. And whenever, whenever uh, the uh, war ended, he went to the seminary. And that had an impact on him from his late, into his late years to where whenever he was elected pope, he said, I just, want, I just want to retire and be a librarian. That, that little small thing that happened whenever he was a kid affected him all the way up until then. But what that it impacts me so much because the Pope is the most public figure in the world. There's not a single person that will come probably even close to it. They said St. John Paul II was, uh, saw more people than anyone else in human history because he was Pope for so long and he was so popular. But the Pope is the most public person in human history. That'd be an introvert's nightmare. And whenever he, whenever he was elected pope, he just told himself, we weren't made for comfort. We were made for greatness. And so instead of retiring and becoming a librarian with his cat, he became the most public figure in the entire world. That's, that blows me away. It really, the, the self-sacrifice that he had. And then like all of his writings, as much as he wrote, which is a lot, and his writings on sacred scripture are unparalleled. 
his writings, his reflections on sacred scripture. If people, if, if a lay person wants to read probably one of the greatest biblical commentaries and just reflections ever, Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth series are incredibly accessible and mind blowing. It's a complete biblical reflection on just the life of Jesus. If people were to read that Jesus from Nazareth series, they would see Jesus in a completely different light. And that was from Pope Benedict. But uh, all of his writings, all of his reflections can be summed up in the very last words uh, that Pope Benedict spoke, according to his nurse. He just said, Jesus, I love you. That was it. Hmm. Everything centered around the love of the in, of the person of Christ. Yeah, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth is incredible, and I have a lot. I have a ton of admiration for him. Not only for uh, his theological writings, not only for his love of the person of Jesus, but also the the changes that he made as a pope and as a cardinal. Like his defense of the cho- of kids and you know of and of handling the sex abuse crisis is unparalleled. He did he's he did more for that than anyone else I know about, and I don't mean even inside the church. I mean outside the church too. His handlings of that were unparalleled. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He wasn't as charismatic as John Paul II. But he was, he was a mountain. He really was. Uh, like I said, that, that thing that they'd say in Rome, they'd go to see John Paul II, but they'd go to listen and hear Pope Benedict. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good summary for it. And so their papacies are pretty much the same because of how close they were. Pope Benedict even said, uh, as a pope, he said this. He said, often I look at the balcony and I still see him. And he was talking about John Paul II because uh, he was there for almost 30 years, probably yeah. 30 years. Um, he said, I, I still look at that balcony and I see him, Pope John Paul II. So uh, they were, the, I, I see those papacies kind of con- a continuation of each other because of how close they were. Yeah. Now is the, I would love to, yeah. Pope Benedict XVI's life is pretty, pretty crazy. Are you going to do a series on it? No, I don't think so. I would have preached, you know, I wish I would have preached, you know, the homily in regards to like whenever we had our requiem mass for him over here at uh, requiem mass. Deer stand, you couldn't preach. Yeah, exactly. I was. I mean, we might have been able to make it happen through technology, but I don't know if it would have been liturgically correct. No, it wouldn't have been. Pope Benedict (laughs) being the liturgist that he is, he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have liked it. Um, a requiem mass people is a mass that we pray for someone that has died and we pray for the the repose of their soul, uh, into heaven. And so we had a requiem mass, a mass for the dead, for, uh, someone who's died, uh, for Pope Benedict the 16th. Every funeral mass is a requiem mass. Yeah. So you could think of it like that. Uh, but we had one here this past week on Wednesday of, uh, last week. And, uh, of course, Father Brady preached it. And Father Brady, I would imagine, knows more about Pope Benedict than me because he was a priest during his during his reign, and I wasn't. He wasn't growing up. Yeah, 
No, everything I know about Pope, of course, is like that was a shot to your youth. Yeah, well, you know, there we go. The, uh, <laughs> everything I've learned about Pope Benedict is definitely from like reading his books or reading stories about his life and stuff like that. That's true. Francis would have been Pope by the time you were like in high school, huh? Well, by the time I entered, whenever I entered seminary, Pope Francis became Pope. Okay. So, um, a cool thing about uh, Pope Benedict. I don't feel old. <laughs> Not at all. A cool thing about Pope uh, Benedict and Pope John Paul II is both of them were uh, kids growing up during the during the Holocaust, during the Second World War. Pope Benedict was in Germany during the Nazi regime, fighting the Nazis as a child, led by his dad, and Pope John Paul II was in Poland as a child fighting the Nazis. Mm. And Poland was the most affected place in the entire world from Nazi Germany. Benedict was Polish? No, he was no, German. No, he, Benedict was in uh, Germany. Yeah. John Paul II. Again, I wasn't paying attention. To yeah, John Paul II was in Poland. Um, and so the, the, the hotbed areas of the Second World War and the Holocaust produced two popes, multiple saints. Isn't it crazy that like God can use even the most horrific events uh, to change the world? To like, even in this concrete, a flower and, and times does. Yeah, even in this concrete, a flower can still come through the cracks. Mm -hmm. uh, and and Pope Benedict was one of them. And that's why they wrote so much in regards to the social doctrine, like the actually how how governments should work and should not work. Yeah. Um, they wrote a lot on that. I mean, it's because they they saw <laughs> they saw what uh what these terrible governmental regimes can do. Communism, Marxism, atheistic thought, uh, relativism, all that. And what, and what good governments should do. So how long before you think, uh, I mean, and this is just speculation. Mm -hmm. um, do we open canonization for Benedict? It'd be, I'm kind of more on the conservative end of it in regards to opening the cause of canonization for saints. Um, it's a very new ph phenomenon that we do it quickly. That we do it quickly, right? Well, it's JP two's fault. John, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is. But I'm like, it's not like I'm a, uh, you know, I'm just in the life of the church and two thousand years of history. The last like twenty years, saints have been made quickly. Correct. And so, like, I even though like that's my whole lifetime, I'm I'm trying to think with the mind of the church. Like, I'm kind of. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of, I'm like, it's your whole life. Well, years. it's not my whole life, but you know, it's <laughs> as much as I remember. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just like, they will say Sante Subito, which means saint right away. Uh, I'm a, I'm kind of a, like the fastest saints that's ever been made as always ones that serve the poor relentlessly. Yeah. Right. So mother Teresa of Calcutta saint immediately. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I'm kind of of the, of the strain of thought that we should be more uh, hesitant because whenever someone's declared a saint, the church is saying publicly that you can imitate this person's life and you will become a saint. Now, I'm not saying there's more saints, that we shouldn't have more saints or that, you know, there aren't more saints, right? Like I remember Mons uh, they told me Monsignor Mouton 
whenever uh, John Paul II died, he was teaching a class, and they said, Monsignor, they said they're going to make uh, John Paul II a saint right away. And he started to laugh. <laughs> and they said, what? What's wrong with that? And he says, he, John Paul II, he just died. What about my old lady in my parish, <laughs> you know, who died a year ago, you know? And he was trying to say that, like, you know, these things take time, yeah. you know, let the process take. We don't need to, like, so while I do think Pope Benedict XVI, while I personally think that he is a saint uh, in regards to the life of the church, if he was declared a saint a hundred years from now, it would still be a very fast process in regards to the history of the church. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of. But that's not how the church moves anymore. No, well, I mean, look, I, I, anymore, I mean, it could. It could, it could. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it just kind of depends on each case. So how fast? I don't know. How long? I have no idea. Uh, but we'll see, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. Pope uh, St. Pius X was made a, a saint pretty quickly. He was a very saintly man, <laughs> you know. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but I do think his, uh, his writings are incredible, and I think they should be read, by, especially by seminarians and priests. So um, I guess to start bringing us to a close, um, you know, Exodus 90 started today, Fiat 90 for the, the women. The women. So that means that we're 90 days away from Easter. Yes. Right. Uh, essentially. Right. And so, you know, we're not very far away from Mardi Gras and Lent and all of those things. And you keep bringing up Benedict's writings. Um, so if somebody were to be starting Exodus 90 or even starting to think about what, what they're going to do mm -hmm. for Lent, um, give us three writings, Benedict, that you would recommend in an order. I would to read his Jesus and Nazareth series. Uh, he has three volumes of it. And I would recommend the first one I would recommend is actually there's a book. It's his, I think it's his second one. His first one, his last one was the infancy narratives, which is a very short book. I would read, I would read his Jesus and Nazareth series over the course of a year during, okay. Fiat 90 during Exodus 90 during Lent. He has a book on this, uh, like uh, reflections on the passion of Christ of, uh, of all of it up until good Friday. Mm. Read that one. Okay. Read that one during this time during, uh, Advent, read his infancy narratives. It's very, very short, like, probably less than a hundred pages. Uh, and during the busy time of Christmas, you could get it, you could get it, ha make it happen. Uh, but during this time, his Jesus and Nazareth series is a crown jewel. Okay. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. So go check that out. You can get it at Acadian Religious. Yep. Free plug the art. Yeah. And or you <laughs> could you could go on Audible. You could you whatever yeah. whatever you're doing, you know. Uh but I would recommend I would recommend that. Perfect. Well, this is a great episode. Yeah. Welcome back. Uh, it's good to be back. I love it. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Uh, be sure to like us and follow us on your podcast listener of choice. We look forward to seeing y'all this weekend at Mass. God bless. God bless. God bless.